But this morning, I want to talk about peace. And it seems that when we talk about peace, there's sort of two extremes. There is this aggressive side. And maybe aggressive isn't the right word. Maybe assertive is a better word. Uh, an assertive side. A side that says, stand up for your rights. Stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for yourself. Uh, stand up. You know, don't, don't give. And if somebody's coming against you, make sure that you guard what's right and protect it. Uh, even if you have to be a little bit aggressive. Uh, there's sort of this hostile sense that we, and we sort of value this. We sort of hold this up as a virtue, as somebody that's independent and self-sustained and, and self-assertive. And we think these are good things. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, we, we have a, a term we say is these people are, are passive. We label them the pacifists. Uh, they don't stand up for their rights. And if you punched them in the face, you know, they would just stand up and say, well, you've punched me in the face. And then you could punch them in the face again. And, and this is sort of what we understand about pacifism. It's just kind of this, this neutral, they don't do a whole lot of anything. They don't stand up for their rights. They don't, well, they just don't do much. And, and we live in a world and a society where we value this assertiveness over this non-assertiveness, where we value action over inaction. And it's interesting, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, sort of with these two choices, this assertive and this passive, you get the sense that Jesus maybe lends himself more to the passive side. I mean, the turn the other cheek and, and don't resist the evildoer and all of these kinds of statements. And we sort of label Jesus as a pacifist. Now, a pacifist is a word I think has gone through a devolution, not an evolution, and it's lost a lot of its originally intended meaning. Uh, this morning, I, I want to say that I think the term pacifist is inadequate to describe Christ. I, I don't know if we look at the spectrum that we can say he fits neatly into one category or the other, because th there are times definitely when Christ laid down his rights. I mean, he went to the cross uh, without putting up a fight. And yet we see this other picture of him sort of cleansing the temple. And we see this is the assertive Jesus. This is the Jesus we hear in America. We like him because he's standing up for what's right. And I, I don't know that he really fits into either category. This morning I want to introduce perhaps what is a third category uh, for us. I think it's the original category. And that is that of peacemaker. Uh, pacifist seems to be an inactive term. Peacemaker is an active term. Jesus wasn't content to just sit idly by. He was working to bring about peace in his situations and in his life. And he's teaching us to be peacemakers. These are the texts I want to look at this morning. These texts on being peacemakers. The texts, uh, the hard texts of turning the other cheek, uh, the eye for the eye. That's what I want to look at this morning. Because I think that Christ is calling us to be peacemakers rather than pacifists, rather than assertive. But to be peacemakers. Very active term. Uh, let me share with you. Right after uh, Baghdad was liberated, a minister by the name uh, of Ghassan Thomas uh, led one of the public churches in Baghdad. And he erected a sign on his building that said, Jesus is the light of of the world. Uh, a few days later, his church was broken into, uh, vandalized, and there was a sign that said, Jesus is not the light of the world. Allah is the light of the world. You have been warned. The Islamic Shiite party uh, was signed, was this note. 
Now, this morning, I want to ask this question. What would your response be? I mean, it's in his right to go talk to the police. I mean, this is now a free country. It's in his right to defend uh, himself. It's in their right to stand up and do these things. What's your choice? What are you going to do? Are you going to stand up or are you just going to be a a pacifist? Kind of wring your hands and go, well, they broke into our church and they tore up our stuff. They'll probably break into our church and tear up our stuff again. What is your response? What is the right response? Uh, Let's look at Jesus' teachings here on righteousness so that we can maybe better define the term uh, of righteousness and and see how it pertains to this situation. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and following says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Uh, right here from this text, we can see one thing's very clear. This is point one on your bulletin, that Christ desires us to be righteous. That's clear. There's no discussion about that. Christ desires us to be righteous. And he desires us to be really righteous. If we were going to come up with sort of the top ten list of all of our favorite teachings of Jesus, this passage would not make that list. This passage might make the bottom ten, our ten least favorite teachings of Jesus. Because we love the drama in the Gospels of Jesus and the Pharisees, don't we? I mean, we love the Jesus is sticking it to the system and he's sticking it to the man. And the Pharisees, they're getting what's theirs. And they're these religious, empty, legalistic zealots. And Jesus is putting them in their place. And he's showing them who's boss. And he's telling them what's important. And right here, Jesus says, hey, listen, look at the Pharisees and look at the scribes. Look how righteous they are. That's the kind of righteousness that you should have. As a matter of fact, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And it's right here that we kind of go, wow. Well, what are we to make of all of these things? I want to give you maybe three categories where we could put righteousness Uh, Category one here, this is letter A, uh, is legalism. Legalism has the right behavior, but the wrong motive. Has the right behavior, but the wrong motive. Look at some of Jesus' great encounters with the Pharisees. The man whose whose hand is shriveled on the Sabbath day. This man is unable to to work completely and to to do all the things that he could do. And, And Jesus asked this great question. He says, hey, listen. If you've got a sheep and it falls into the hole on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you pull that sheep out and save its life? Well, well, of course you would do that. Now, now the truly legalistic person would say, well, no, we're going to leave it in the hole because we're not going to work on the Sabbath. You see, legalism, it's got the right behavior. It's got the right behavior. It's always right. It's always righteous. It's, It's always following the rules to the letter. But it's got the wrong motive. It says, I'm going to follow the rules because the rules are the rules and the rules are what's important. And Jesus says, well, no, no, the rules were given to give life to people and humanity and and freedom and all these kinds of things. There's more to the rules than just the rules. But the legalists don't see that. You see, they've got the right behavior, but they've got the wrong motive. 
There's another category we might put here. We could call them the anti-legalists or the liberalists. Maybe that's a a better word, isn't it? The liberalists. These are the people that Paul was talking about in Romans when he asked the question. He says, hey, should we continue to sin so that we could have more grace? Now, now there was apparently a group of people that said, you know what? We should use our liberty in Christ for whatever purpose we can find because grace is good. And if grace is good, then I should sin because if I sin, then I get grace and grace is good. And that's why Jesus died. And so the more I sin, the more grace we get and the better Jesus is. Isn't that fantastic? And that's kind of this anti-legalist, this liberalist thing. It says, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I can do it because I can. You see, they got the wrong behavior, but they got the right motive. I mean, let's be honest. They say, you know what? We're free in Christ. They understand that, but they've missed what Jesus has said about righteousness. Uh, This third category I want to put before you is righteousness. Righteousness has right behavior from the right motive. Righteousness says, I'm going to apply the spirit and the letter of the law both. I'm going to do these things. And Jesus goes on to explain what does that look like. Uh, Let's start in verse 21. As we look at uh, Christ uh, talking about these instances of hostility and aggression and all these things. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you fool literally translated means you count for nothing. You're empty headed. There's nothing here. If you say that to a brother or sister, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus here is talking about righteousness because righteousness, this is point two, Christ desires our righteousness to protect peace. Jesus looks at the law. And he says, all right, the law says don't murder. And all of us in this room could probably sign a pact that says, we vow for the rest of our lives to never murder somebody. And I bet like with 99.9% accuracy, we would probably be able to do that. You know, we, would, we could hold on to that one. The legalists of Jesus' times, they were able to do that. They didn't murder, but boy, they hated people. And they didn't have to murder them, did they? They just... Gave them the look. Did you see the look they gave you? You know, they, they killed me with their look. The death stare. Don't we say that? The death stare. They gave me the death stare. And so they didn't have to kill. They're just looking at them. And they're murdering them in their heart and their mind. And they go home and they think, wouldn't it be fun to do something evil to them? <laughs> but they wouldn't do it. They thought it. And so according to the law, man, everything is copacetic. But Jesus says righteousness goes beyond that. Righteousness, it's not enough just to not kill your brother, but you tear him down with your words, you're, you're murdering him with the things that you say, you kill him with your language and your looks. Jesus says it's not enough to not kill. You've got to not hate. And in our trash-talking society, let me tell you, this commandment is extremely relevant. In our trash-talking world where we tear down with the things that we say, Jesus' words today are as, as, as timely as ever. You know, the legalist says, speak out. It's the right action. Let them know they're evil. Let them know they're vile. Let them know they don't count for anything. Uh, the liberalist says, who cares? 
I mean, you know, who cares? You don't like me, but that's fine because I don't like you either. Who cares? But righteousness is this. It says I'm worth more than damaging my soul with violence and thoughts of violence. He goes on to talk about this here in verse 23. Uh, there's another step to this. He says, so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother or sister. Notice the line. It says, be reconciled with your brother and sister before you're reconciled with God. I mean, that's pretty profound. He says, go reconcile with them and then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court with them. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus says this, listen, instead of telling your neighbor you're wrong and you don't count for anything and what you're doing is evil and vile and wicked and letting them have it, he says, why don't you work to reconcile? Instead of putting them in their place, why don't you come together? Why don't you come together? Why don't you reconcile? Now, I know a lot of times when we think about pacifism, we go, this is not practical. The the real world doesn't function this way. If you don't stand up for yourself, then nobody's going to stand up for yourself. But how practical is Jesus teaching here? He says, I don't want you to be passive. I want you to be active. I want you to be making peace. You think it's more practical in the real world to go to court? You think it's more practical in the real world to have it out with everybody else? Jesus says, you know what's practical? is reconciling between the two of you. That is the most practical thing that you can do. And it's hard, isn't it? You know, this is why we choose other options. This is why we choose to either do nothing or to just put them in their place. This is why I think pacifist is too mild a term for Jesus. Jesus isn't sitting idly by and saying, you know, whatever. Jesus says, no, I'm going to work to make peace. He makes the righteous position here clear. He says, don't kill with your words, your thoughts. Go seek and work towards reconciliation. Now, let's be honest. The time will come when if you do this, it will still fail. I mean, it will still fail. You will work to protect peace. You will do your best to not kill with your words and kill with your thoughts. And there will still come a time when hostility shows up. Let's skip down to verses 38 and following. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, this sounds a bit harsh today. um, But, you know, honestly, in a a lot of ways, this, this controlled the punishment. If somebody put your eye out, you couldn't kill them. You could do the same and no more. And so there is some humanity in this law, but Jesus takes it a step further, verse 39. He says, I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Jesus in these teachings is is saying here for for your point three here, Jesus wants us to respond, uh, our righteousness to respond with peace. You know, in these situations, the legalist says this, you know, make sure everything comes out even. You know, if they take your eye, take their eye. If they're going to take your cloak, well, give them that, but... But be ugly about it because you don't want them to enjoy your coat. 
You know, if they're going to force you to go the mile, then complain the whole time you're with them. You know, make it miserable. We call some of this active-aggressive. The other part is passive-aggressive. You know what I'm saying? You're just going to walk a little bit slower than they like to walk. Uh, I'm going to give you my oldest cloak as possible. As a matter of fact, I wore it when I was a kid. Here, you can have this one. You know, I mean, these are the things that, that they would say. You know, don't give them more than they do. Make sure everything comes out even. Make sure everything comes out even. Uh, the, the, the anti-legalists, the liberalists, they're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to even let the score become uneven. Before you take my eye, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that you can't do that. I'm not going to be around for you to take my cloak. I'm not going to be around for you to do these things. I'm not going to let the score get uneven. The righteous person says this. He says, I'm going to use this act of aggression to show you peace by outgiving what you ask. Christ is saying this. When somebody approaches you in hate, approach them in grace. When somebody approaches you in hostility, approach them in love. When somebody approaches you with greed, approach them with generosity. Outgive. Outgive. Uh, Miroslav Volf was a, is a Croatian theologian. Uh, and uh, as you know, Croatia has seen its place in times of uh, violence and difficulty. He writes this about evil. He says, to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory, when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. Jesus is saying, put evil to death by responding with righteousness. Respond with righteousness and love. I know this is hard. This is why I don't think it's adequate to call this pacifism. This is peace making church we're, we're working to make peace and it's hard work at that and think about how practical this is as well somebody takes something from this person in this day and time so a soldier presses him into service for a mile and says listen you got to carry my junk for a mile and that was the law they could do that the soldier could do that and i guarantee you that entire time that soldier is enjoying the fact that he has pushed this Jewish rebellious person into service for a mile. And he loves every minute of it. What happens when that Jewish person who's under their authority but doesn't like it says, hey, listen, that wasn't so bad. Could we go one more? What's the attitude of the soldier then? I'm going to sue you and take your cloak and I'm going to enjoy it. Hey, listen, that's not enough. I really want to make it up to you. Here's my coat also. What is the response of the other person at that point. Jesus is saying we've got to work to respond with peace, to disarm with peace. It's been said that hatred is a delicious feast, isn't it? Man, we love to hate. We love to be angry and think about people and, and what we would do to them to get even and how we would respond if we had the chance. Well, we love to enjoy that delicious feast. Every morsel is savored until we realize the body of the main course is our own. Church, that is what hatred does to us. Uh, this Gassan Thomas, he understands these things. And in a place that's torn with violence and war, he responds this way. When they vandalized his church and threatened him, he loaded up a van with children's gifts and medical supplies, which were critically short following the war and drove to the headquarters of the Islamic Shiite party. 
After giving the gifts and the supplies to the sheep, Kassan told the leader, uh, Listen, Christians have love for you because our God is a God of love. He then asked permission to read from the Bible, and he read from John 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he showed the cardboard note to the sheik. The Muslim leaders, astounded by his actions, apologized. They said this, they said, this will not happen again. You are my brother, the sheik vowed. If anyone comes to kill you, it will be my neck first. The sheik then later attended Pastor Thomas's ordination service at the church. You see, there's one more step to this. And Gasson Thomas got this. You respond with love, but then you work to promote peace. What would have happened if he had just come with children's toys and medical supplies and then left it at that? There would have been an open wound between him and them. There would have been still some hostility there. He said, listen, we've got to deal with this. We've got to work to bring about peace. And so he's... He deals with the hard questions, the hard and difficult, awkward topics. Uh, Jesus gets at this when he says, uh, this is the last point here, it says, He desires our righteousness to promote peace. Uh, let's look at these last few verses, 43 and following. It says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You you see, there's one last step here. Love says this, I must work to intervene. Jesus is saying, pray for your enemies. Pray for the people that persecute you. Love those people. What are you praying for, for them? To be reconciled to Christ. Because when those people are reconciled to Christ, they will be reconciled to you as well. We've got to pray for enemies. We've got to love our enemies. We've got to have these awkward conversations. Because as we think about it, if I allow you to continue in your sin, as you do me wrong, as you hurt me, if I permit you to continue in that sin, I am not loving you. Love says, listen, I've got to work to help you find reconciliation with God. I've got to work to help you find righteousness. Nelson Mandela, he knows a little thing about reconciliation. He writes this. He says, My hunger for the freedom of my own people became a hunger for the freedom of all people, white and black. I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A person who takes away another person's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. They are locked behind bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I am not truly free if I'm taking away someone else's freedom. Just as surely as I'm not free when my freedom is taken from me, the oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity. Church, the oppressed and the oppressor, we're not just robbed of our humanity. We're robbed of our God-imageness that we're all created in when we refuse each other Uh, love and liberalness and freedom uh, and generosity. And and so we've got to work to promote peace in in all people. This is why Jesus says, listen, it's not enough to just not hate. 
You've got to pray for their well-being. It's not enough to just not hate. You've got to love those people. Now, let me tell you, we'll be honest with each other. Because you do that does not mean they will love you. But we cannot control their actions. We can only control our own. And so if we're going to be peacemakers as Christ was, we have got to work to bring about peace even when others don't. Uh, It's a difficult thing to think about. It's a lot harder than being a pacifist and doing nothing. Uh, as, as our worship team comes up this morning, I want us to think about one other thing. This goes back to last week in the Beatitudes. Jesus talked about peacemakers because he knew how difficult it was to work to bring about peace. He says there's a great reward for those people that make peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. We all want to be like that. It takes work to be a peacemaker. It, it means following in the example of Christ and his sacrifice. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that Jesus' mission was to bring and make peace. Ephesians 2 says that he, in his body, destroyed the hostility between Jew and Gentile and then humanity and God as well. What was his thanks but the cross? Church, peacemaking is a difficult, thankless business, but it's one that makes us more like Jesus.